trigger warning. This podcast is about grief. Whether you are newly bereaved or whether you have been stuck in grief for years, I do hope this podcast brings you some comfort. Grief is such a universal experience, but we all do it differently. This podcast is not about fixing you or forcing the healing process because there is no cure for grief. It can only be absorbed, experienced, loved and cared for. So whether you are doing it privately behind closed doors or like me, you are kicking and screaming your way through, let's support each other. This is a safe space where we can come together and share experiences. My hope is that this podcast shines a light on your path and gives you the strength to navigate your way through the grieving process. My name is Louise Bates and I'm so pleased we connected. I'm looking forward to interviewing people who have also walked this path to find out what worked for them in the hope that it helps you too. I'm sending you so much love and support and I look forward to sharing this crazy journey with you. Hello and welcome to this episode of A Gift for Grief and today I'm delighted to be speaking to Sharon Luca. Sharon is an author, public speaker and podcaster. Sharon's life was turned upside down in 2012 when she lost her precious son Luca to stillbirth at 36 weeks. Sharon has a sad story but since then she has gone on to give the gift of time to thousands of grieving families through her award-winning Luca Foundation. Sharon is driven by her vision to fund enough cuddle cots to serve every maternity unit throughout the UK so no one else has to go through what she went through. So welcome Sharon and thank you for being my guest today. Thank you for having me. So before we start, could you just explain exactly what is a stillbirth? So a stillbirth is basically when your child uh, passes away within your womb and and you still have to give birth to them um, and they are born still. So they're born sleeping. Yeah. I've often heard people refer to the stillbirth as a baby is born sleeping. Is this a term that the stillbirth community like to use yes it is i think it's more um more sensitive i suppose to say yeah. that they were born sleeping yeah so according to the nhs website one in every 200 pregnancies ends in a stillbirth in the uk so that's eight babies every day now i find these statistics heartbreaking but it's not something you hear a lot about, is it? No, uh, it's actually 15 babies on average die every day. Oh, wow. So um, that can be either through stillbirth or within the first 28 days of their life. Okay. Um, so on average, it is roughly around 15 per day, okay. uh, which is a staggering amount, obviously. It's, it is. It's, it's unbelievable in this day and age, isn't it? Yes. Those figures are so high. Indeed, now, I know your story, Sharon, but would you like to share in your own words a little bit about yourself, what you do and how life has taken you down this very different path? Yes. Um, so before um, Luca passed away, and, and, and just for the record, we, we added Luca to our surname um, to keep his name alive, as I had promised him. Uh, I like so we're that. Luca hyphen chatter. Yeah. Um, but I'm mostly known as Sharon Luke, and I do like that because it's 
obviously my son's name and that's what I'm keeping alive as I promised him and um, so that's unusual and people do really like that so you know or, or sometimes they get a bit confused and I say was he called Luca Luca I was like no <laughs> <laughs> so um, but yeah I mean before Luca passed away we, we uh, my husband and I we met back in 2008 um, and we married a couple of years later uh, we both had successful careers. I was a project manager and uh, we were just doing the normal thing. We married in our 30s. Um, we saved up to have a baby. He was very much planned. And um, and then we had this sudden awful turn. So it was the first day of my maternity leave and he'd kicked extremely hard over the weekend and that very morning as well. Um, I had workmen in putting in blackout blinds in the nursery, very much in the nesting mode. And then come the evening, he just stopped moving. And he was always very active in the evening. So it was always morning and evening. It was always kind of quiet during the day. And um, so it, it seemed bizarre that he wasn't. And uh, so, and then, you know, my husband said, mm, baby's really quiet this evening. I was like, yeah, I don't can't understand why had a cold drink see if we can get him moving that didn't work I had a piece of chocolate um again that didn't work uh went to lay down on my left side to get him moving as well and that didn't work either and I thought oh could he be running out of space to move you know it, you know you mm -hmm. just think at these late stages because they do say babies um can find it hard to move around at these late stages um but uh, nonetheless, we called the hospital and um, said, you know, what's, what's happening, what we've tried. And they said, come in, we'll, we'll just check everything's OK. And uh, and that's when we were told um, his heart had stopped. Oh, my goodness me. I mean, I didn't, don't suppose for a minute you saw that come in. No. You just thought they would reassure you that everything's OK. And, yeah. you know, how do you process that news i i can actually still hear my scream today when they told me i'm sorry yeah. um and it takes me back to that moment where um my husband just fell to his knees and cradled me and we just sobbed yeah and they uh, the doctor and the two midwives walked out the room to leave us alone um and then i it because it was night it was nearly nearly midnight by this point um we just um went into shutdown mode yeah. into disbelief that this was even happening and um and when the doctor came back and I, I said, why? Why has this happened? And he says, I don't know. I can't give you any answers right now. Um, and because it was nearly midnight, they said, you need to come back in the morning to get re-scanned because it has to be two doctors that do it. So you went home after that? They sent us home, said, come back the next morning. And obviously we didn't sleep, you know. We, you know, The next morning we, we drifted in and out and sleep, but woke up thinking have I just had a nightmare yeah. is this really true and I looked at my husband I was like is this true and he says yeah you're not dreaming um and I just broke down into tears again 
and um, and that was really the few days that we we had were back and forth to the hospital. So we went back that morning. We had to get rescanned. I was, you know, hoping that they'd got it wrong. Yeah, and saying that actually no, he's fine. Um, and to be then obviously told again that no, he's he's definitely gone. Um, and then having to wait around to see uh, an obstetrician to give me the details of what would happen next um, and a midwife and then they gave me some tablets to induce me and uh, they said, well, I take these tablets now um, and then go home, come back again the next day. Oh, my goodness. So, yeah, it was back and forth a lot, but obviously we had to go home and break the news to family as well. Yeah. Um, the morning, uh, that morning before going to the hospital, I did say to my husband, I says, tell my brother Stephen, because I was very close to my brother Stephen, and he's, and still am, um, and he lived in London at the time, and I says, I need him here. And, and I said, tell my mum, because she knew I was going to be having a checkup that day yeah. anyway. Um, so um, I said, tell my mum, because otherwise she's... They were self-employed with the post office, etc. I said, otherwise she's going to end up opening the post office and she she won't want to once she knows this. Um, so my husband just made three phone calls to his manager at work, my mum and my brother. And then we went to the hospital Um Obviously got those tablets, came back home and then everyone started to come come over to see us. And my mum and dad, they obviously closed their business for that day. Um, my, my sister came, she didn't go to work, she came with my parents. Uh, Stephen made arrangements to, to get to Coventry um, train station. And yeah, so everyone just made, did everything that they could to come and get to me yeah. as soon as possible. So you had a good support network around you, personal support network. Did you find the hospital staff dealt with your experience in a compassionate and respectful way? Not really, no. Okay. Um, we had um, an issue, not well, it was with the receptionist that, that, that morning we had to go back. So this was Monday evening when we found out he'd passed away. Yeah. Tuesday morning we went back and the receptionist was like, oh, no, you're not down to be in here today. I said, no, we are, because we came in last night and the doctor told us to come this morning. Uh, so they are expecting us. Oh, no, I can't see it. She was just not helpful at all no. in the situation, just left us sitting around. And um, eventually when we did get seen, you know, bizarrely, um, we got seen and the doctor later on, um, when I was in labour with, with Luca, it was him that said, oh, you didn't come that, that morning when I said, and I says, no, we did. It was the receptionist that wouldn't let us see you. That's unbelievable, Sharon. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and he said, oh, do you mind me asking which reception it was? And we had to describe her. And he says, ah, Right. And he says, uh, there obviously had issues with this receptionist in the past. And now she'd done it at such a sensitive time. Yeah. Um, so, um, obviously something would have happened along the lines there. But, yeah. Um, but but at a time when you're going through your darkest period, um, luckily you've got a good 
network of people around you personally, but then you think that the hospital would be geared up for this situation and they'd be expecting you and you'd be welcomed and supported and you wouldn't expect that sort of treatment, would you? No. But you, the tablets induced you, so you had to go through the labour. Yes. So how long was that for? So um, Tuesday evening, um, by that point we'd seen, I think, everybody apart from my father-in-law who came the following morning. So the Wednesday morning we had to go back to the hospital, so we needed to be there, I think, for about 10 o'clock. And um, and that was just waiting for my water to break, really, and, and, and have some more tablets to induce me. Yeah. Um, and, and, and he came Wednesday morning before we went to the hospital. And then once we were there, we were put in a private room and uh, just had to wait the course, really, for the, the medication to work yeah. and my waters to break. Were you put... In the labour suites, could you hear, because I've often heard other people have gone through a similar experience, where they can hear babies being born? Yes. Okay. Yeah. And uh, and is this still happening today? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Unfortunately, uh, many hospitals don't have the room to sh- shut off to a private private okay. sec- um, section to for mums to give birth to their, their sleeping babies. Um, and it's it's devastating, really, that th- this is not prioritised um, and for mental health reasons and the ongoing um, mental health issues that that occur from from losing your child. Yeah. So when Luca was born, were you able to hold him and be with him? No. So what happened was, um, so I was. I went into labour on the Wednesday evening, uh, early evening, about six o'clock. Um, but I was in so much pain, I needed an epidural. So they sent in a junior anaesthetist to do the epidural, but it took him six attempts and he couldn't get it in. Um, so I was in excruciating pain, screaming, um, because it was extremely painful every time he tried to get the epidural in. And then they finally called the senior anaesthetist uh, and she managed to get it in straight away. And afterwards I just thought, why why are they not prepared and have the senior there ready for me straight yeah. away, knowing what I'm going through already? Um, and then obviously everything calmed down and I just, I wasn't going to then feel the contractions. So they had to keep an eye on my contractions throughout the night so yeah. I was in labour throughout um, overnight and I gave birth to him just around 8 o'clock the next morning which was then Thursday morning um, so we'd gone from Monday night finding out he'd passed away to Thursday morning before I actually gave birth to him Is that normal in this situation? Yeah, unfortunately So you probably had had no sleep No And then you then have to go through the full labour Yeah I mean, I just can't imagine what you had to go through, Sharon. Mm. It's unbelievable to me that, you know, this happened and in a hospital in this country with all the expertise and Mm. amazing NHS, do you think your experience was a one-off or is this sort of still happening today where people are 
the treatment could be better. Yes, I think the treatment still could be better. I think they've got better in, in certain ways yeah. um, in terms of giving more dedicated care to those parents um, during that time. But once I had given birth to Luca, for some reason, and to this day, I still don't know, they took him to a different room to clean him and dress him. So I'd given the clothes that I'd bought for him to be dressed in. And... Um, and yes, I, I mean, if it's a living baby, they're still in the same room when they get dressed, etc. Yeah. Um, but I couldn't understand then why they took Luca to a different room. But then as they did that, um, my placenta wasn't detaching, so I had to go to theatre for another surgery to detach my placenta. In the meantime, I had said to my husband, make sure you have time with Luca while I'm in the theatre. And um, they hadn't brought Luca back. So I'd come back from theatre after, I don't know, an hour or so. I don't even know the times. Um, and I looked at my husband and couldn't see the cot, a cot anywhere. Um, and I was like, where's Luca? And he says, I don't know. I says, what do you mean you don't know? He says, I don't know where he is. And, I, and this is how many hours after you, you'd given birth? Probably a good two, two and a half hours. Okay. And um, he says, I asked at the front desk where he is, and she said to me, are you the father of the dead baby? Okay. And and he was in bits, and I said, so where is he? And he says, I don't know. And I says, do you mean they've lost him? He says, I don't know. And so nobody knew where Luca was. And I'd come back from surgery expecting to be holding my baby. And um, midwives come in and out and I was like, where's our son? Where is he? And each one would say, I'll find out and come back. They left, but they never came back. So we were constantly asking, where is he? Where is he? Nine hours later. Nine hours later, yeah. you still hadn't? Yeah, I can't believe this. I, I I knew your basic information. I didn't know all of these details. Mm. It's it's really unbelievable, Sharon. Did yeah. you find out what happened where he was? Yeah, eventually. Yeah, we. Um, so our bereavement midwife came on uh, duty, and she came in to to see Luca and see us. And um, and she said, oh, where is he? We said, we don't know. And we were in bits. And we said, they've lost him. And she said, what? I said, I gave birth to him at 8 o'clock this morning and we've not seen him since. They, no one's telling us where he is. They've lost him. She stormed out of the room and um, she came back about 10 minutes later and said, I found him. He's next door. So he was just in the next room. And yet nobody could tell us that he was in the next room. So what was this room? Just another labour room. Just another room where uh, anybody could have given lay a birth to their, their child okay. in. So was he in one of these cuddle cots? No, we didn't have a cuddle cot, unfortunately. They didn't have any at that time. So we lost those nine hours. The paediatricians yeah. were with him by the time Sam, my bereavement midwife, found him. And she says, I'm going to go back. I'm not going to let him out of my sight. 
and as soon as they're finished, I'll wrap him up and bring him to you. And she did. She did that. In, in the meantime, she took his handprints and footprints for us to have in his memory box. And um, as soon as they'd, they'd, they'd finished measuring him, etc., she brought him to us herself. And like I said, this was nine hours later, so we we was we were robbed of nine hours with yeah. our son and not having a cuddle cot either. Um, it was just the most traumatic thing to happen already in traumatic circumstances. Yeah. So the support you got before and during labour wasn't great? No. And then after the birth, you had to have surgery and then to wake up from surgery and then to have this further torture of not knowing where your son is... Um, do you hold any resentments or negative thoughts towards your experience or about your care, Sharon, or have you been able to make peace with this? No, I haven't. I think all these years later, it still angers me that I was yeah. stolen off that time with Luca. Yeah. Um, because we, although we had him overnight with us in a bereavement room, which was, again, upstairs on the on the maternity ward but to one side so you couldn't hear any any babies crying or anything yeah. it was actually a bereavement it looked a bit like a, a hotel room um with a television a sofa etc and a normal double bed rather than a, a hospital yeah. bed and um and they'd placed him in a Moses basket for us to have him, but it was, wasn't a cuddle cot, so his body wasn't being kept cool, so he was deteriorating over that time. Okay. And um, so they made it clear that, you know, we, um, we've we got him tonight, and then um, they didn't say how long we'd have him the next day. We just, you know, our families came to see him, His, you know, his grandparents, my, my grandmother, his only remaining great-grandparent yeah. um, and our siblings came to see him in that family room and then um, and then we went to sleep um, I think yeah but the motherly instincts had already sort of crept in and yeah. I was waking up during the night to check on him not really connecting that actually what Am I checking on? He's not going to move. Yeah. You know, it wasn't really. Um, so, yeah, it was. It felt really, really bizarre. But then the next morning when we did wake up, um, we were told we didn't have very long with him. And okay. That, you know, make the most of holding him. And I couldn't believe it. I thought you lost him for nine hours yesterday. Yeah. We've just had this overnight period, and now you're telling me we've only got an hour or so with him again before he's got to go and I just couldn't take it I just couldn't handle it I was I started walking around with him in my arms and I was rocking him because those motherly instincts were yeah. there um and we took it in terms to hold him but we weren't having enough time it wasn't enough satisfying time of holding him yeah. which if we'd have had a cuddle cart we would have had those extra days you know and we could have really properly held him and taken in every feature of him we could have changed him we could have you know washed him we could have you know done lots of different things yeah um you know and at this point because we were just 
thinking about holding him the most. We didn't even take pictures of him in our arms. And that's something I regret now as well. And that's because of all this lost time. Yeah. It didn't it didn't sink in really all the things we should be doing because we were just making the most of the, the little time that we yeah, had. Absolutely, yeah. So if you had had a cuddle cot, how would your experience have been different? So we would have had him for days with us. Okay. Um, as opposed to just those hours. Yeah. So we could have took him home with us if we wanted to. Okay. Or we could have stayed in that family room with the cuddle cot. So how the does the time. cuddle cot work? The so it pumps um cold water into mattresses that are then lined with foil. So it keeps the baby's body cold. I see. So it's when they're cold they don't deteriorate so quickly. Yeah. Um so it's preserving them basically, uh, basically. Yeah. Um which means that the families get more more and more time to say their goodbyes and make memories. Yeah. Do you know, I had a lovely guest, Rachel, on a few weeks ago. In fact, it was episode eight. Now, Rachel also experienced a stillbirth with her daughter, Narianne. But she was able to visit Narianne for a few days after the stillbirth. And she talked about how the nurses put her daughter into a little cot and she could read to her and be with her. And she was able to create memories with her daughter. So I presume Narianne would have been placed in a cuddle cot. Yeah. So, yeah, and it would make a big difference to the grieving process as well, I think, wouldn't it? Absolutely. So, obviously, this is massive. I don't know how you pick yourself up from this experience, Sharon. What moved you to forming the Luca Foundation and creating these, you know, what you're doing now, making Mm. sure every maternity unit in the UK has a cuddle cot. How did you get from losing Luca to where you are now? Mm. Well, oh gosh, that's the story. Um, So in the, we had to sign the papers to have a post-mortem done for for Luca um, because we needed to know why he'd passed away. Uh, in that way and um so we'd signed those forms etc and then he was take you know he was taken off but we had the, the midwife come back a few times to take him and I kept saying no and um I just wanted to hold on to him I just yeah. was not ready for him to go and then eventually I was pretty much forced to to let okay. him go and um and when she carried him out, I placed him in his his Moses basket and I kissed him and I promised him he'll never be forgotten. And I needed to do that bit. I couldn't let the midwife take him and put him in the in the car. I needed to do that bit. And um and then when she took him I just yelled out, no, I need her back. Um, and that still lives with me today. Yeah. Um, just not having that time, not having him in my arms long enough. Um, not being able to accept what had happened. Yeah. Um, 
in those few hours. Um, it was all so quickly. Everything was happening so quick. Yeah. Out of our control, really. Um, and it left me in such a dark, dark place. But um, after his funeral, um, I almost took my own life because I was so empty and so heavy in grief in such a dark place. The world had no colour. It was just waking up and going to sleep in this horrid internal pain of heartbreak that I wanted to end. I didn't want to feel like that anymore. I just wanted to be with my son. Yeah. And what pulled you out from that? As I was about to take my life, um, I noticed the time. Something made me look at the clock. I don't know why. Uh, God made me look at the clock. And it was then I realised my husband was coming back from work soon. Okay. And... Instead of thinking, I better hurry up and do this, I realised he was going to find my body. Yeah. And um, suddenly I couldn't do it to him, I broke down. I thought, I can't do that to him. And so I was in bits when he came back from work. And um, early, not that long after, and he said, what's the matter? What's what's changed today that you're like this? And... um, I told him, and then he broke down and said, promise me you're not going to do that because, he says, I can't live then without you as well. And um, he then worked from home for a few days to keep an eye on me. Yeah. Sorry, Sharon, you've got me going here. (laughs) (laughs) It sounds like you've got a wonderful man and you had each other. Yeah. But how did you get from that place to where you are now? So I, um, we found out that uh, through Lucas' post-mortem results that it was actually uh, medical negligence that led to him passing away. So at 24 weeks, I'd had a growth scan and um, the lady scanning me had known the person living in our, our house before we bought it. She kept talking about him and different things and um, the different neighbours on the on the close. And um, scanning him, she gave us extra pictures, all of that. And she says, oh, yeah, everything's fine. Um, but missed a very significant part on his growth scan, uh, which showed that his abdominal was small, which meant his um, nourishment, nourishment wasn't getting to him as fast as it should do. Okay. And um, she missed that completely. And that is what led to him passing away. And if that had been picked up at the time, would there have been anything they could have done? Yeah, they would have put me on aspirin. They would have monitored me very closely. Um, And I know this now because the following year, almost to the exact same date, um, I was pregnant with my second son. And exact same thing happened then, and he was monitored so closely. Yeah. And he made it here safely. Oh, my goodness me. So how do you come to terms with this? You don't. You don't. We've never had an apology. We've never had an acknowledgement of their errors. 
Um, never had an apology for them losing him for nine hours. Um, so was there an investigation? No. no, we did take it to a solicitor um, and said that um, there's medical negligence here. We know it's medical. And she said, yes, that is medical negligence as far as I'm concerned. So she pursued it and um, and she said uh, the independent midwife agreed, yes, there was medical negligence. The independent obstetrician, who is the highest in the ranking of them, um, said, yes, but it doesn't guarantee that he would have been here. So he threw the case out. That's not really an answer, no. Sharon, is it? No. So he threw the case out. And it couldn't go on any further, otherwise we would have had to pay for it and we didn't have the money to pay for it to okay. go any further and continue to pursue for it. And um, so we had to drop it. Okay. We had to drop it. Um, but in, we know ourselves yeah. from, obviously, what they said uh, in the legal battle, but then also what happened with our son the following year. Yeah. We know Luca would have been here if it had all been picked up properly. Yeah. And was the grief experience with your son, your second son, okay? Um, I we decided. Uh, I'm, I'm Christian, and I decided to leave it in God's hands. And I said, I prayed um, at the Vatican. Actually, um, we went we went on a trip. My mum and dad paid for us to go have a different change of scenery, a getaway. Um, and we, we decided to go to Rome. And with Luca being an Italian name, we were seeing Luca everywhere. It was like he was on the holiday with us. And um, and I I prayed at the Vatican and said, you know, leave it in your hands, God, if, if I'm meant to have a child again before yeah. Luca's first anniversary, then then you'll you'll make it happen. But if not, again, then that's in your hands. So I I fell pregnant around the same time I conceived Luca and then once we did get his due date they were actually six dates apart um so everything felt like deja vu all the scan yeah. dates all the you know measurements and everything all felt so like reliving the whole thing but the pregnancy felt like 10 years and I presume you were going to the same clinics and hospitals yeah so that must have been very difficult for you yes yeah uh, one of the scan um, appointments we saw the, the midwife who didn't pick up his grave scan and I wanted to say something to her and my husband held me back. Had she made the connection or not? No. 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 And, um, and that was really hard. Yeah. That was really hard and I, and, I, and I said to my husband, if we get her, I will kick off in front of everyone. Yeah. Um, and the fact that she was still there even though this legal case was going on whilst I was still expecting my second son, Kai, um, and she was still there working, was hard to see. Yeah. So how long after Luca's death did you start the foundation and get the idea for taking that forward? It was actually six years later. Yeah. Um, so we we had kai he really helped me with my grief he didn't obviously doesn't replace luca in any way at all yeah. but he resembles his brother you know looks like him so um i fell straight into loving motherhood yes and uh and being with him and cherishing it every moment and 
and and then eventually when he was 18 months old I went back to work and um I felt like I was living life to the fullest potential I could without Luca here so I was being a full-time mom I loved my job um I was doing everything um and it felt really good it actually helped my depression as well yeah and um but then on my way to work in 2016 so four years after Luca had passed away I had a car accident somebody went into the back of me and because of the way it jolted me um it um caused a lot of whiplash and uh what we thought was whiplash continuing for a couple of months and not going which was strange um I had further investigations and I had a lot of brain fog um I started getting pain in other areas of my body uh, I was getting deep into depression um and then eventually signed off from work and then um went to a private clinic because I had health insurance through work and found out that I was actually um diagnosed with fibromyalgia Oh my goodness. Yeah. So it had um, triggered fibromyalgia within my body and the uh, rheumatologist said, you're like a fragile vase because you've gone through so much trauma yes. already in your life that another knock on that vase was going to break you. And um, and that's what's happened. This this car accident's basically broken your in yeah. internal vase. And and that triggered fibromyalgia, which led to me losing my career. Uh, we lost 60% of our household income overnight. Um, I was the breadwinner and all of a sudden all of that had gone. Yeah. And um, Kai at this point was three and a half. And he um, couldn't understand why mommy can't suddenly just pick me up and... You know, I, I, you know, if I was having cuddles with him, I'd write, let me sit down on the sofa, then you come into my lap and I'll cuddle you. Yeah. And he couldn't understand all of that, but um, bless him, he was, it was really life-changing for for all of us. Um, I couldn't move properly, I couldn't walk properly. Um, it was really hard, but that, losing my career, um, and then on Lucas' sixth anniversary, I had a breakdown. Yeah. And it was everything all in one go, you know. I just suddenly lost my career. I was in chronic pain. It was his anniversary. Um, and I broke down like just like it. I had the news that he had died again. Yeah. Well, you, you, losing your career is a type of bereavement. Mm. Losing your health is another type of bereavement. Yeah. So it's grief on top of grief on top of grief. Yeah. And you can only take so much. So then you have this breakdown. Yeah. Yeah. I was in bed for about a, a week. Yeah. Um, only really getting up for Kyan to take him to nursery and um, then back to bed and then pick him up from nursery and then wait for my husband to come back and take over with him while I go back to bed. So it was just, just doing that. And, um, but out the other side of it, when I came out of that breakdown, it became a breakthrough because I was suddenly talking about it with my friends and they were like, you know what, you're talking about Luca without crying for the first time in six years. Yeah. And I was like, oh, yeah. 
And Alas, it's always that moment that stuck with me, that not having enough time with him. That always remained with me. And during this time, we'd learnt that cuddle cots were around and, you know, realised that actually that would have been something that would have been really helpful for us. Were they around at the time that Luca died? Or was this a new invention? It was a new invention at that time. So they hadn't come into maternity units at that point. So it actually just come out, I think, probably the same year. And um, so I I just decided that I want to make sure everyone gets a cuddle cut because look at me six years on, still also feeling that traumatic um, loss of time with him and what that's done effectively on my health, on my mental health, um, um, on on our lives really, what what, what that's turned into. Um, So that's when I realised that I wanted to make sure everyone always had access to a cot in these tragic circumstances. So I spoke to the manufacturers and said, what can you tell me what, what has happened with cuddle cots? I've heard some are in cupboards because they're not working. And they said, oh, the, the NHS don't have funding to repair them. And I says, can they be repaired? This is, yes, depending on what, what it is that's not working, really. So we were, I went through everything with them and decided actually we're going to repair cuddle cots, not just keep handing out new ones because that's what was happening at the time. Yeah. So, I, well, if we can repair them, Let's work sustainably, not let them just end up in landfill. Um, we'll, we'll get them working. So we started doing that. Uh, we became a registered charity in um, January 2020, just before the pandemic. Yeah. Uh, we had so much lined up for fundraising, which had to all be cancelled. Yes. Um, but with the, the support that we had already built up, we did some online bingo, etc. And we managed to um, repair all the cuddle within the Coventry and Warwickshire area. That's amazing. In that time. So we managed to do some work during the pandemic, um, but it really flourished after I suppose in the last sort of 20 months um is when people realize what cuddle cuts are what they do for family how vital they actually are the government don't deem them as vital equipment because it's not keeping a child alive um they don't see the benefits of it um when actually those parents that do have it absolutely see the benefits of it because it helps them start their grieving process it helps them with their mental health it helps them make memories with their child that they're never going to to see again but they're going to hold on to those memories and cherish those for the rest of their lives so it really is vital for that Uh, and lots of people do see that now so we've had lots of people that have had use of a cuddle cut who've come up to me personally at you know, baby loss awareness service and things to say thank you because of you we had five days with our child because of you we had you know two extra days and you know yeah. all these different things or because of you we, we were able to take our baby home um so and, and it's really warming to hear that yeah I mean it's a beautiful way to honor the memory of Luca yeah but 
Do you find that it helps you in your grief as well? It does, yeah. I think um, channeling my grief through the charity work yes. has, has helped me enormously with my mental health. Yeah. Um, I think I'd be in a very dark place if I hadn't started yeah. the charity, to be honest, with now, all the you, health issues as well. Absolutely. I think it's incredible what you've done. But you also have two books, Angel Warrior, yes, which is all about your story, yeah. and Why Did Grandad Die, which is an illustrated children's book about coping with a relative's death. Yes. Did you ever imagine that you would write two books? No, I didn't, <laughs> no. Um, Why Did Grandad Die was actually inspired by Kai. Yeah. So when he was four, he started reception at primary school and um, that week they were asked about who's at home, pets, parents, siblings. And he's always grown up knowing that he's got a brother in the sky as a star. So all through nursery, he would talk about Luca. Uh, and then suddenly he's in primary school. It's a different environment. And he, he said the same thing. I've got a brother, he's a star in the sky. But the children laughed. Mm. And um, and actually, obviously, they don't understand that thing. But the teachers didn't handle it well, even though I had warned them that he will talk about his brother, who's a star in the sky, and gave him, given them that information. They didn't explain it on his part to the other children. So for him, it felt like, why are they laughing at me? I've always talked about my brother. Yeah. So he came home quite sad and I said, what's the matter? And he told me and I had to explain to him that children don't really understand the same way you do because they've not had to go through the same thing and they haven't got a brother or sister in the sky. There's a here. So, you know, really awful having to explain that. He'd yeah. gone through that whole day feeling upset. But it was then three months later, which I realised it had obviously been playing on his mind all this time. It was during the Christmas holidays. He said to me, Mummy, how did Luca die? And that's when I had the whole conversation, that heart stopped. And um, that's when he became a star in the sky, when his heart stopped. And then I've got pictures of my dog around the, the house as well, who I had before the boys. And uh, and he said, well, did Kane's heart stop as well? I was like, yeah. I said, they're in the sky together, actually. They probably play together. And he's like, oh, really? You know, so it's all really all these kind of explaining that actually they've gone from here, but they're together up there. And uh, and I, you know, had this conversation and I thought that was it. And then we were watching a movie called A Dog's Way Home. And uh, in the movie, the, the, the homeless man who had the dog at the time wasn't waking up he'd passed away in the cold and the dog's trying to wake him up and and Kai said to me um mommy why is he not waking up to look after the dog he says I think he's died and uh, in in the cold and he says well why is his body still there oh. and uh, I was like ah oh, okay yeah right so I had to explain actually there's a this spirit that lives inside us it's our soul that's invisible that goes out of our body yeah. and the body is like clothes for our soul that which then goes up to the sky and becomes a star and it just made me realize that's how children think yeah and um i then <laughs> i thought well if this is how they think i had to explain about the funeral how you say goodbye to a body yeah. etc um 
I thought there's no books around that explain this. And I've never heard of anybody having a conversation with a child. So I put it on my social media that I've had this conversation uh, with Kai and it's been really difficult. And so many comments came back to me to say, you know what, I don't know how you've done it because I wouldn't know where to begin. Yeah. And that was the kind of really the catalyst of actually this needs to be in a book. It needs, yes, you know, definitely. families, yeah. children children teachers all need access to this book because it made me think actually if that book had been in the school when Kai had said that about his brother in reception yeah his teachers could have pulled that book out and said actually let's address what Kai's just said and go through this book and so explain why Kai's brother is in the sky yeah um and I thought well that's what I need to do so yeah. I, I had a friend who's an illustrator. We got funding together, some business sponsorships, and we we basically did the book for the charity. So it it um, brings in income for the charity. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's amazing. And did you find writing the books cathartic as well? Yes, indeed. Yeah. Difficult. Uh, I think the children's book was easier to write. We had to change it a little bit to why did granddad die yeah as opposed to why did luca die because yeah. most children will experience a great grandparent or grandparent passing away yeah the natural order of in things, a natural isn't order it? yeah you know if you know they're lucky enough to go in the natural order of things yeah uh, as nature was meant to have it um so that's why we made it a pet in there as well as a grandparent yeah, so yeah. we did that so we changed that slightly uh, but that was a, quite a fun project to see how the pictures would come together and yeah. create th that story in, in illustration but my book Angel Warrior um, it was hard to relive a lot of what happened and put all that all that into the book but it also made me realise that People need just the tips section. So at the end of every chapter, I've got like a summary of tips of yeah. how to support somebody who's grieving or if you're the person grieving, things that you could do as well. Yeah, sounds amazing. So how can people get in touch with you, Sharon? So they can get in touch with me through the Luca Foundation, uh, which is uh, www.thelucafoundation.com foundation.org.uk so it's all one word yeah and there's a part in there where they can send me a message and i will respond to those Fab. and they can uh, also buy our children's book from there we've also bought out a, um, a range of gifts where you can give to a person that's grieving rather than take flowers take them a well-being box yeah yeah i've i've had a look on your beautiful website and um, there's videos on there and you share your story and your events and you have a lovely online shop where you sell your books and you have some beautiful, thoughtful bereavement gifts too. Mm. I mean, I highly recommend the listeners check it out. But what helped you to move through your grief in the early days? In the early days, um, I think the focus on prayer had okay. helped um initially i felt like oh, why has god done this to me never starting to lose my faith and yeah. then um eventually i i'd read a bible that i'd bought to read during maternity leave and in there it said that it's not 
um, God that does this to you. It's actually Satan who's testing his loyal followers. And, um, and God has to put you to the test to prove Satan wrong. And he doesn't want to do it, but he's got to do it. And when I read that, it made me feel stronger. Okay. Thinking, well, okay, it's it's not God's fault. This has happened. This is a test. This is a test of my faith. And what can I do? So my faith actually got stronger, Yeah. if anything. And that helped me through. But when I go back to the Bible, that same Bible, and it was literally within the first page or two that I saw that, it's not there anymore. How interesting. Mm. It's just not there. So how do you explain that? It. it was what I was meant to read at the time. Yeah. Because something was pulling me to pick up that Bible. Yeah. Um, to, to understand why this had happened to me. Um, I then obviously had Kai and a lot of people got these sort of, started coming out with comments or, you know, Kai's here now, he's replaced Luca. Or, you know, Luca's come back through Kai. And I was like, no, no, I didn't believe any of that. Um, And I have a great aunt who can speak in tongues, very connected with the Holy Spirit. And I prayed, I remember it's a Saturday night, I prayed and I kept, and Kai was probably about six months by this point. And I prayed and I and I said to God, I need a message from you. Has have you sent Luca back through Kai? Or is Luca with you? And I just prayed on it. A few days later I got a call from my great aunt. She says, I was praying and I got this message for you. I don't know why I've got it. Maybe you can make sense of it. And I says, What's the message? And she says, um, the message is that Kai um, that Luca is with God and he's one of his special angels. And Kai and his Kai. And uh, and she says, do you know what that's about? And I says, yes. I said, mm-hmm. I prayed on that a couple yeah. of days ago. And then she got the message for me. Um, so my faith has got me through. Yeah. Hugely. Yeah. Oh, well, that's good to hear. That's really good to hear. Now, I appreciate that going through your grief after losing, losing Luca is not a path you would have chosen. But do you feel that your grief experience has given you any gifts um yeah it's it's made me realize actually uh, the lack of empathy that is around the subject of grief yeah um hence why we we came out with the endless love range of gifts on our website because it's extremely hard we i mean i designed a teddy bear which has an opening at the back and a sustainable tub so you can put ashes of a loved one in there or lock a hair or so, anything, hospital yeah. bands, etc. that you want to keep safe. Um, put it in there and hug it so you've got that person. Oh, what a lovely thing to have. I've not heard of that before. So, yeah, it's a bit of the first charity to ever design anything like that. And I wanted to be very unique and different in the sense of something. I've based everything based on what I would have liked at the yeah. time. So... Uh, and that's what we've done. So we've got, it's given me the the feeling of changing the narrative of how we speak about grief, not just with children, obviously, through the children's book, but as adults um, and how we support each other uh, and have those important conversations with children so they don't grow up with the same 
taboo sticking around with them that it's now become some a normal conversation and anybody can feel that they could talk to anybody about their grief while they're making somebody feel uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah. And I feel, I'm hoping that my podcasts and my books will also sort of break down that stigma mm. because I feel like society needs to become more grief literate. Yes. And people need to hear these conversations and we need to talk about grief, don't we? We need to normalise it. Yes. But you're a very busy lady. You also hold a series of fundraising events throughout the year, including a ball. Do you feel that grief has changed you? Yeah, it, it has. It's given me uh, more determination yeah. in areas that I would never have done anything about in the past uh, had this experience not happened. Yeah. Um, so I think Luke is a gift in the sense that um, he's helping me change things within society yeah. that should changed a long time ago. And I've decided to put my voice to that. Uh, Absolutely. Very similar to yourself with this podcast. Yeah. I mean, I feel that we go through um, a type of transformation. You know, we're still the same person, but it feels like we have, an, we've been upgraded. Mm. Um, and I think it's important that we allow ourselves to transform through the grief process. We can't be that same person after a significant loss. Mm. And it does change us. And I think sometimes people get stuck in their grief when they resist that change. Yes. Um, they may feel they need to stay the same in order to love and honour their loved one. But in fact, when you move forward within that transformation and you carry that love you have for them with you, it's it's the best way to honour them, isn't it? Mm, yeah, yeah. So just okay. allow yourself to move through it as fast or as slow as you need to go and um, just allow the grief to change you yes exactly i don't um don't suppress your emotions no um let them come out freely don't be afraid to cry yeah um you know if that's a private cry or with a friend on their shoulder yeah. you know still allow that time to cry even years later because it doesn't leave you no grief doesn't have a, a time stamp on it um it will it'll come in waves sometimes when you least expect it. Absolutely, yeah. And I think the important thing is people embrace that. Yeah. And uh, and people stop feeling that uncomfortableness where, you know, they feel like, oh, I don't know what to do or I don't know what to say. I think in, in any situation with grief, if you don't know what to say, simply say, I don't know what to say, exactly. but I'm here for you. Those simple words can can change how that person is feeling just to know that you're there yeah you don't necessarily have to say anything but you're there for them and that can be the biggest difference it does because it opens that space up for that for the griever to be whatever they need to be yeah but if there's awkwardness and clumsiness it makes the griever i can't do this now yeah and that's not healthy is it no, it's so not. yeah totally with you on that yeah did you find people were unsure how to be around you and not know what to say after oh, luca died yeah? indeed yeah i mean there was a, a few friends of my husband and um of my own as well that were having babies or had had babies yeah. uh around the same year of, of us losing luca and um Many just ignored us, didn't 
get in contact yeah. or anything, you know, didn't announce the birth of their child to us like they would have normally. Yeah. Um, so we realised who was there for us um, and who wasn't really. Uh, and I think that's where you see the true, true, yeah. true side of who who's got you and who who hasn't. But I think ultimately, uh, it's like one of our friends did say, you know, they'd had twins a few um, months beforehand. We were very cl- we're very close with them even now. Um, and he, him and his wife came, and they they literally said, we we don't know what to say. Yeah, but we wanted to come and see you. And give you a hug and yeah. just let you know that we're here, and that meant more to That's us. So lovely, isn't it? Yeah, isn't it interesting though how some people who you think will step up disappear and go off the radar? Yeah, and the people you don't expect, and people that surprise you, mm. you just that do the loveliest things. Yeah, but some people just can't cope. No, they don't know what to say. They don't know what to do, and it's easier just to ignore it and just go off the radar. Yeah. Yeah. So yes, it's it's very interesting. But then we'd get cards and messages from people that we yeah. didn't expect to receive anything from yeah. as well, and that was, and that was really lovely. But then when we did have Kai, yeah, we had probably more people coming forward to see him and sending yeah. gifts, and uh, because of what we'd, they'd seen us go through, and when one of our friends, um, they were actually going on holiday the day Kai was born. And they got news of him being born at at the airport, and he cried. Yeah, and which was lovely. He didn't cry when his own son was born, but he cried oh. when Kai was born. And that's, and I yeah. think, you, when you when you hear that and you 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 see that, you realise just how much people have been affected by your loss. Yeah, it's so touching, and care isn't it? about yeah. you so much um, that when your your joy has come, your rainbow has come. Um, they feel it intensely as well. Yeah. So how would you describe grief to someone who has never had a significant loss? It's the darkest, heaviest, um, most internal painful feeling that you could you could never imagine. Yeah. Um, you, you can never really understand how heavy grief is until you experience it and and I know it's noticed now when I listen to podcasts or books or or anything when people talk about heartbreak they were heartbroken when somebody split up with them and things and I think actually no heartbreak is when you've lost your child you've lost that faithful partner that's been with you your whole life that's heartbreak, not being in a relationship for two years and then they've decided not to be with you. That's not real heartbreak. And I know the difference now. Yeah. Um, and that's that's because it's it's so raw, it's so painful. You feel like you can't breathe. You feel like all your internal organs yeah. are hurting because of this pain. Yeah. Um it's like it's like having flu without the flu cold like without the yeah. cold it's like your whole body is hurting yeah. and you can't get out of bed you can't be motivated to eat you can't be motivated to do anything yeah it, it, it is literally that hard and it will always be sad yeah 
there's no cure for it, is there? No. It will always be sad yeah. that a, ch- a child has died. Mm-hmm. Um, but what words do you choose to use to express your condolences to other people? I, um, a lot of times I'll, I'll, I'll now say if somebody's lost somebody, I know exactly how you're feeling. Yeah. Um, and I, and I always say time, there's no time limit, grieve, cry, um, scream, shout, do everything that you feel you want to, don't suppress any of those feelings is what I'll tell people now. So, Sharon, apart from your own books, can you recommend any other books or films or podcasts or groups to support people? There's a really wonderful book um, by a gentleman called Mo Gordat, uh, G-A-W-D-A-T. I listened to his podcast. Oh, do you? He's amazing. He's great. I've yeah. met him as well. and Have He's you? wonderful. But his book, um, Soul for Happy... In memory of the work he now does in memory of his son. Yes. um, Is a great book to understand what happiness is and how to find happiness. He has a great mindset, doesn't he? He When you think of his story, his son died tragically in having a routine operation, I believe. Yes. Um, Was he a teenager? 21. 21. And, you know... He's just come through and he's such an inspiring person, mm. isn't he? Yeah. Um, he's really helped me. His podcast has yes. been amazing. Yeah. He's so. a wonderful, wonderful person. He gives the most warmest, wonderful hugs. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I listen to him a lot because I can, I learn from him as well. And um, we have a lot in common. Um, in fact, Stephen Bartlett's manager said to me when he met me, he said, you remind me of Mo Gorda. Ah, yes, yeah. It's interesting. One of my clients said that to me if she'd been listening to my podcast. And I also listened to Stephen Bartlett's podcast, oh. Diary of a CEO. <laughs> yes. Because he, he, he interviewed some really interesting that's people, why, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah, that's how I found out about Mo, actually, okay. through Stephen, because he interviewed him. Ah, I listened to Mo before I found Stephen's podcast. Ah, it was the other way around for me. Around. <laughs> yeah. But I found podcasts in the early days really helped me, particularly grief-themed podcasts, because I felt I needed to connect with people that were further down the line than me. Mm. So I could see that I am going to feel better. There is, you know, it gave me hope that if these people can get to this place, I can get to this place too. Yeah. So I listened to a lot of podcasts in the early days and still do now. Yeah. So do you have any words of wisdom that you could share with our listeners to maybe help them loosen their grief in some way? Um, I'd say think of your loved one as that star in the sky. Yeah. Who does look down on you. Do you want them to see you getting on with life, living your life, still remembering them? Um, and I think a wonderful way of remembering them is what we started doing as, as soon as Luca passed away, even from the first Christmas, was we buy gifts to each other from him. Oh, that's lovely. Um, so Kai was always had a, a present on his birthday and Christmas from his big brother. Yeah. Um, Mother's Day and Father's Day, we always get a gift to each other from Luca. Um, and we keep him alive in, in 
what we do as a family. Yeah. We recognise his birthday every year. We'll cut a cake and blow a candle and um, send a um, sustainable balloon up into the air. Okay. For, you know, as a, we kiss it and we send it up into the sky. And um, we do all these little things that keep him yeah. included in the family, our family dynamic. Yeah. And and that's really helped us. And I think if you can take nuggets of little things that can help you, whether you plant something, a plant tree or something in the garden, you talk to that tree as, you, as though you're talking to yeah. your loved one. Um, have our teddy bear, for example, you know, yeah. put something of them in there, talk to the teddy bear, hold the teddy bear, feel like you've got them in your arms. Yeah. Um, all these little things can really help that grieving process. That's really good advice because although they're not physically with us, they're still part of our lives. Mm. And we need to talk about them and mention their name and do anything that brings us comfort. So, yes. So I love how you've incorporated Luca's name into your family name too and how you honour him every day and remember him through the work that you do and the rituals you have and the present buy-in. You know, this is going to really hopefully help our listeners. Um, But what would you like people to learn from your experience? I think um, I'm very passionate about um, new parents, expecting parents to, to ask more questions. There's been a rise in baby loss since the pandemic. Oh, I didn't know that. And uh, by not almost 4%. Okay. And um, for, for many reasons. Unfortunately, 80% of them are actually preventable. And, and it's all because the staff are overwhelmed with their workload. Yeah. Things get missed. And we can, as parents, ask more questions. Uh, we're just not taught to. We're just expected to um, take it for granted what the professionals tell us. And um, we're not taught how to read these charts, what to look for. Again, you know, we just wait for that. Yes, everything's fine. Yeah. And go on our way. I think what I've learned from my experiences to to not just for midwives to to take extra care but as parents we can ask more about like explain that chart to me what does that actually mean um can you you know what's the growth scan all these different things that i need to see what does that mean you know what's the blood flow like of my child how much is the blood flow there's a doppler test that they can do to check your blood flow to the child it's not done routinely and yet it takes 30 seconds to do yeah we put a lot of trust don't we in the experts and we just put our hands our bodies in their hands and we're not like you say we're not taught to ask questions and Mm. be inquisitive so yeah i think that's really good advice now this is a question i like to ask all my guests and i know that you're a christian what are your thoughts about the afterlife um very much heaven yeah yeah very much heaven um i as i as i illustrate it in the book that the after 
life is everyone coming together yeah. um, that has passed and living in a beautiful sunny meadow. No hay fever. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just beautifully warm and sunny all the time yeah. and so, so happy. And they're all together. They look down on us, but they're all really happy in their best version of their life, in their healthiest part of their yeah. life. Um, the My book actually went to Kensington Palace. Um, and um, when Her Majesty the Queen died, she there was a, a, a little snippet that was on the news of what Prince Louis had said. And he said, oh, she's gone into the sky to be with the rest of the family. Oh. And that's what's at the end of our book. Yeah. So it was lovely to get a letter from them to say, you know, thank you for the book. And, and that obviously had been used when Prince Philip died and, and then when Her Majesty the Queen died. And um, and to hear that on the news yeah, that's straight amazing, away, Shazen, yeah. like, that's come from our book and that's amazing. Yeah. So for them to, uh, I believe he was four last year when the queen died right um so he was that same age as kai when yeah, he talked about it yeah. so for him to have the understanding to know she's gone to a happy place yeah. and um to know probably his own grandmother diana is also in that happy yeah. place you know um i think that's really important as well so um to take that uh uncomfortable feeling that like i said break that taboo that we've all grown up with that yeah. you know Loss is a, a taboo subject. You don't talk about loss. Um, let's make it a normal conversation. Yeah, yeah. If children can do that and say the loveliest, innocent yeah. things, then let's embrace that as adults as well yeah. and change that going forward. Yeah, we need to be prepared for the the questions that come from children, don't we? Because they're yes. so innocent and they'll just ask the most awkward questions and if we're if we're not educated and we don't know how to have these conversations how can we help them yeah but there's yeah your books are gonna be a massive help in that um in that area but do you believe our loved ones can give us signs yes have indeed. you had any signs i have i have uh, one very vivid one um we have a, a black tiled um kitchen floor and a few years back, uh, I'd gone in and out of the kitchen a few times. It's all been cleaned and it was one that cleaning day, you know, there was no yeah. windows open. Um, and then in the evening, um, there was this fluffy white feather wow. in the middle of the black floor. And I'd only just been in there and it was just there. Yeah. And, uh, and I felt like this was Luca yeah. giving me a sign. So I put it next to my bed that night on my bedside table and I had the most vivid dream of Luca and Kai playing together Oh wow! and um, actually seeing my boys together and I can see, see it now when I talk about it Yeah. and people were saying to me in the dream, are they twins? I was like, no, they were a year apart oh. and it was just the most beautiful dream that I had um, and I, and you know, I've never had anything since like yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, and I believe it was because of that feather. Yes. Yeah. Oh, what a beautiful experience. Mm. Now, if you could give Luke a message now, what would you say? I'd tell him how much I miss him. Yeah. How much I love him. And tell him that all the work that I'm doing is because of him. So he's not had 
a life here to live, but I'll make sure that he is living through the work that I do. Um, so when one day, God willing, I do meet with him, I'll say, look at all the memories that I've made for you. You couldn't make them yourself, but I made them for you in your name. So much good has come out of what was a really horrible experience for you, Sharon. Mm. But thank you so much for being my guest today. You are incredible. How you have managed to move forward after such a tragic loss and now you're helping others going through a similar journey. Other parents will be gifted extra time with their babies because of the work you do. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much too. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of A Gift for Grief. Please feel free to share it with your friends and family and let's encourage others to become more grief literate. If you're struggling with your grief or worried about your mental health, please do speak to your doctor. If you would like to join me on my social media groups, check out the show notes for all the links. And I look forward to connecting with you next time. The music on this podcast was written and recorded by Matthew Bates and can be found on his two albums, Fight Back and Kaleidoscope.